Good morning, everybody. So today we are celebrating what the church calls Gaudete Sunday. Gaudete means to rejoice in Latin. As I said at the beginning of Mass, we are rejoicing because Advent is coming to a close and we are approaching the birth of Christ our Savior. Christmas is near. Uh, But as I was preparing for today's homily, I noticed that there is an inherent irony, or at least it appears to me, between what we are celebrating today, this day of rejoicing, and our gospel. The gospel presents us the figure of John the Baptist. He's one of the pillars that we look to as we prepare for the birth of Jesus. But instead of John there in the desert preaching, pointing the way to Christ, John is in prison. He's in prison as a result of what he had to say to criticize the king and his wife. This is not exactly the most joyful type of situation in which you could find yourself as we celebrate today's liturgy. And so what John does, he ends up sending his disciples to Jesus to ask, are you really the Messiah? Are you the one who was sent to come and save Israel? Or should we look for another? And Jesus' response is typical for the ones that he gives. He doesn't come out and directly answer the question, but instead makes a reference to the Old Testament and the prophecies present in the book of Isaiah. Now, the traditional interpretation of this is that John clearly knows who Jesus is and sends his disciples to him in order for them to be able to have their faith increased by Christ answering the question that they pose to him. However, I want to present another way of looking at today's passage. It's one taken from a homily, I think, in the late 70s from Cardinal Ratzinger, of course, the man who ended up becoming Pope Benedict XVI. He offers a more realistic interpretation, one that I think speaks more to our own experience. And I'm going to take the seed of what he had to say and sort of develop it in today's homily. And so we have here John, who is in prison, in prison unjustly, there awaiting his sentence. And as you might imagine, people in prison often have time to think. And even people of great faith having time not just to think, but to overthink. Asking, I'm sitting here this whole entire time pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, preaching that he is going to come with fire and with power to free Israel. But instead, what is he hearing reports of? That Jesus is indeed coming, and yes, he might be working miracles, but instead he's coming ministering to the poor. He's coming in meekness. He's coming in peace, not in the fire and the power that he expected. So you can imagine John might be asking himself, was I wrong? Is this really Jesus? Because his expectations have been not lived up to. But even more than that, here is John, after all this work, 
being chosen for the special mission, he's there in prison about to get his head cut off. And you can imagine him saying to himself, this doesn't make any sense. Why is it going to end up like this? How does this all work out in God's plan even more in the darkness? Where is God? Where are you, Lord, in the midst of all of this? And calling out, asking Jesus for an answer, but he doesn't get a clear answer. Instead, he gets a reference to Scripture. It doesn't make any sense. And I believe that this is an important way of understanding or interpreting this passage because it resonates with all of us in our own lives. Whenever we, who are good practicing Catholics, we go to Mass, we give to the church, we help our family and our friends, but tragedy strikes. Suffering comes. Things that we don't expect. Trials and hardship. Or we have a whole plan for our lives. We think the Lord is going to bless us and give us all these great things. And then something goes in a different direction. It doesn't go as we hoped for or as we had expected. And so we're disappointed. We face darkness in our own lives. And then all we need to do is pick up the newspaper or go to the television. And we see the violence and the strife and the darkness and the suffering and evil. And particularly, this comes to mind today. I, like many of you in here, after hearing about and reflecting on the events that happened in Covington a couple of weeks ago, we can ask ourselves, where is God in all of this? Why do innocent people have to suffer? It doesn't make sense. After a good life, why does the Lord allow such darkness as this? And so we find ourselves often, like John the Baptist, asking the Lord for answers, groping in the darkness, wanting it all to sometimes make sense. But we can understand what his plan is and where he's leading us. But so often, like John the Baptist, we don't really get a response. Or at least not the response that we would hope for or the one that we would expect. And so it seems so unfair to have to go through life like this with so many questions, with so much suffering, and with so much darkness. But however, in the homily that I mentioned, Ratzinger does give us a response. He gives us an answer to this whole conundrum of why is the world like the way it is? Why does God choose to be present in the darkness and allowing us to struggle with this question without always giving us clear answers. And this is what he says. And he refers it to John the Baptist, but of course I think it refers to all of us. He says, quote, This was probably the final task assigned to the Baptist in prison, to become blessed by this unquestioning acceptance of God's obscure will to reach the point of no longer demanding external, visible, unequivocal clarity, but instead of discerning God precisely in the darkness of this world and of his own life, and thus becoming 
profoundly blessed, unquote. And so what Ratzinger is saying is the challenge that the Lord gave to John and he gives to us is not to expect visible signs and clear answers, but instead to be able to rest in and find blessedness in the darkness, in the suffering. He's asking us to grow in faith. But the problem is, so often we confuse faith with vision. That the person who has great faith, we think, is the one who understands everything. It all makes sense to them. They have this great light of vision. But no, faith is belief in things that we cannot see. Faith is still believing even when it is dark and it doesn't make sense, which means if we're going to grow in faith, things are not going to get easier. They're going to get much darker. We're not going to get the answers that we expect. We're going to expect that in heaven. But on earth, we can expect to have things not always make sense. Because quite often, our desire for answers, our desire, our hope for things to make sense is nothing more than a veiled desire to control. That if I know where the Lord is leading me, if I know why he permits this in my life or in the life of others, then I'll believe. No, that's a desire to control, and that is not what genuine faith is. It doesn't mean that the Lord is not going to answer our prayers. It doesn't mean that he is going to abandon us, but quite often he is going to answer in ways that we don't expect or don't make immediate sense. And we can see this in the life of faith. What are we celebrating? Advent, as we prepare for Christmas, when God comes, the word becomes flesh to speak to us is what? Is a little baby born in a manger in some poor town at night in the darkness where no one sees it, no one recognizes it. That's how he comes, and often in the way that we least expect And as a result, we don't see it or we pass over these manifestations of his word and his mercy. But most importantly, in the prayer that we prayed or the reference that was made before mass to the sign of the cross. Here is the most innocent man who was brutally tortured and and murdered in front of his mother feeling in his own heart, my God, my God, why hast thou abandoned me? This is the sign of our faith. So why do we think it's all going to make sense? The cross doesn't make sense. It's a stumbling block. But yet, this is the sign of the faith that even when it doesn't make sense, we, like Mary, stand at the foot of the cross and we continue to persevere until the resurrection. That's when it will all make sense. That even though there is suffering, even though there is death, that we believe Christ triumphed over it in the resurrection. And we believe in it because it is reasonable. Because the gospel message is credible. And we have the anchor of our faith now in the gift of the Eucharist. Once again, that central belief of our faith that Christ is truly present under the appearances of bread and wine. That doesn't make sense. It's not something you're going to understand, but it's why we're here today. 
to be able to encounter the crucified and risen Lord hidden under the appearances of bread and wine. And so as we continue this Advent journey, my suggestion is not just to give in to the darkness or to say, well, I'm not going to be able to understand, so I'm just going to give up. We continue to pray for insight. We continue to pray for faith, but come to realize that that faith is going to be manifested in ways that we do not normally understand. But no matter how dark it gets, no matter how things don't make sense and how many tragedies come into our life, there's one thing that we still can control. No matter how dark it gets, we can still choose to love. We may not understand why the Lord permits these things, but we can still love him and we can still reach out in love to our brothers and sisters and to those who are suffering and are often in a place that is much worse than we find ourselves. And in loving through that darkness, we, like Christ, can be a light to others. Amen.